Good morning, everybody. Um, Welcome to Hope Church, Hope Online. We're so thrilled you're able to join us today. My name is Tim Blaber. I'm one of the elders here at Hope Church, and it's my privilege to be bringing the Word of God to you today. I will read from our text in a moment, which you can find in John chapter 20. So if you just want to turn to John chapter 20, and we'll be reading from verse 19 shortly. Before I do so, I would like to commend a book to you. Gentle and Lowly by Dane Ortland, The Heart of Christ for Sinners and Sufferers. I am loving this book. Um, I've actually only started it a few days ago, and I'm finding it's helping me so much to understand better who Jesus is and what Jesus is like. Um, If you, like me, often feel like a kind of hopeless sinner, to discover that Jesus loves to draw near to me in that experience of hopelessness and to bring hope and healing and assurance of his love and his eagerness to help me. And when you go through times of suffering and pain and hurt and disappointment, when the things maybe that you've loved most in this world are taken from you or are damaged somehow, to know him calling you near and strengthening and helping and giving comfort to you in those moments. It's just, it's, it's wonderful. It's, it's genuinely therapeutic, but in a sincere and real way. This book is superb at ex- expanding these things and helping us to know more of who Jesus is. So I'd really commend it to you. Um, Gentle and Lowly, The Heart of Christ for Sinners and Sufferers by Dane Ortland. Actually, a lot of the themes that are covered in the book are addressed in this text that we're looking at today. Um, Coincidentally, I've been reading this alongside this passage um, and just found so much that's overlapping in terms of this text really also being about the heart of Christ towards sinners and sufferers. So let's read together. John chapter 20, verse 19 through to 23. When it was evening of that first day of the week, the disciples were gathered together with the doors locked because they feared the Jews. Jesus came, stood among them, and said to them, Peace be with you. Having said this, he showed them his hands and his side. So the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. After saying this, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I want to begin today by expressing my gratitude to you for sending Jesus. I want to thank you, Lord Jesus, for obediently coming to earth. Thank you for living the perfect life which I couldn't live. Thank you for dying my death, for paying the price for my sin, for defeating death and sin, for being raised again by the power of the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you're alive today and with us. Thank you, you're the true living God who ordinary people like me can know and have friendship with 
and find hope and meaning and purpose in this life and the life to come. Thank you that today, by your Holy Spirit, you're revealing yourself to us. I pray that you would help all of us this morning, wherever we are, wherever we find ourselves, to encounter the risen Lord Jesus and to know peace in the depths of our hearts, to know the breath, the Spirit of God upon us, that we might experience the peace that is ours, one for us through the cross of Christ. And Father God, I do ask all of these things in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. So the title for this message is The Empowering of the Spirit. The major theme of this passage is peace. And so we're going to be looking at this in three sections. Firstly, peace through the word of Christ. Peace through the word of Christ. Second, peace through the cross of Christ. Peace through the cross of Christ. And then third, peace through the spirit of Christ. Peace through the spirit of Christ. So firstly then, peace through the word of Christ. We pick up the events in verse 19. When it was evening on that first day of the week. Now, at the beginning of this chapter, chapter 20, verse 1, we have, on the first day of the week, Mary Madeline came to the tomb early. So she's come right at the beginning of the day. We pick up the events right at the end of the day. This is evening, it's nighttime, it's dark, and they're all huddled together. The previous verse, verse 18, has Mary Madeline coming to the disciples. Mary Madeline has herself met the risen Lord Jesus. She came to the tomb. She, she, she beheld the empty tomb. She was perplexed and overcome by her own heartache at the death of the one that she loved. And then he's gone. Where have they taken him? She's, she's, she's confused. She's anxious. And then, through a series of events... The risen Lord Jesus speaks directly to her, calls her name, Mary. She meets the risen Lord Jesus. And then she runs to the disciples. She, you can imagine her bursting into their room, um, ecstatic, wild, <laughs> as you would be. You've just, you, someone who had died is now alive again. It's astonishing. So she comes to the disciples and she says, I have seen the Lord. I have seen him. Now, John doesn't record the reaction of the disciples to this news. We don't have their response here. But it is recorded for us in Mark's gospel, chapter 16 and verse 10, which says this. Yet when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they did not believe. We're only, so, so we must conclude then that the disciples believe that Mary has had some kind of um, illusion, some kind of, in her, in her ecstatic emotional state, she's imagined Jesus to be alive. They must essentially conclude that she's, she's crazy, she's, she's suffering some kind of psychotic episode. Presumably, that's what they're thinking. It's, it's the scene that C.S. Lewis tries to capture when... Lucy returns from Narnia and, and, ex, and, and describes this new world she's entered to her siblings, and they're laughing at her, mocking her. Don't be silly. 
Lucy, what are you talking about? You've only been gone for a few seconds. She says, no, no, there's another world. And, and I met a fawn. And, and the whole thing seems so ridiculous that she's just dismissed. And it's, it, it's just so well captured. And, and I do think C.S. Lewis has this scene in mind. Has Mary going to the disciples, telling them that Jesus is alive. And, and their disbelief, their refusal to accept what she said. I mean, why would they believe why would they believe that someone who was crucified, oh, horrifically crucified, who had died, was alive again? Well, someone might say, because Jesus said he was going to rise again. I mean, he told them on a number of occasions. These disciples were slow. I think they were slow to, to pick up a lot of what Jesus taught. And so we find them in verse 19 in a locked room, we're told, because they feared the Jews. So it's, it's late in the day, it's in the evening. The disciples have all gathered together. They've locked the doors. They've locked the doors because they're afraid. They're fearful. They're fearful because Jesus, their rabbi, the one that they followed, the one they spent the previous three years with, was publicly executed for blasphemy publicly executed on the, the charge that he considered himself to be the Messiah, considered himself to be God. He's hung up on a tree. He's crucified before the, 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 the hundreds, the crowd before him, and they are known as his disciples. So, so they're guilty as well of perpetuating this idea that Jesus is the Messiah. So they fear for their lives. They are in this room, lock the doors because they sincerely believe there is a, a, a genuine prospect of them being arrested and crucified themselves. It's hard for you and I to imagine having that kind of fear that at any moment I would be grabbed, at any moment I would be beaten, flogged, scorched, crucified. So, so look, it's a real fear that they've got. And this fear isn't uh, allayed by the report that Mary brings. They are in unbelief. They're fearful. They're in unbelief. And the door is locked. Now, fear is something that we can relate to. I wonder if you're feeling afraid if you have fear in your life, if you have anxiety. Of course, this has been a year where many of us have feared. Maybe many of you are still fearful to leave the house. You're, you're, in a sense, yourself in a locked room. But metaphorically, many remain in a locked room, I believe, shutting the outside world out, protecting themselves from some form of confrontation maybe, protecting themselves from something disrupting the comfort of their sense of security. I wonder if you're living with fear. I wonder if you have anxiety. I wonder if you struggle with unbelief. The disciples overt fear, the, the, the fear which we're told about was the fear of the Jews. So that's, that's the fruit fear, if you like, is Jews are going to find us, Jews are going to kill us. The root of their fear, 
I would argue, is the fear of death. So what's the worst that can happen? The Jews find them, the Jews execute them. Why are they so afraid? Because they don't want to die. They don't want to suffer. That's understandable. Fear of death is rife through humanity. The fear of death. You, you go back to the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve sin, they hide, they're fearful, they're fearful of judgment, they're fearful of the consequences of their disobedience, which the, the Lord had said to them would be death. So, so I would put to you, are you afraid of dying? Are you confident in what comes next? The disciples are fearful. Now the next thing that happens is glorious, wonderful, world-changing insignificance. The disciples were gathered together with the doors locked because they feared the Jews. Look at this. Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. One moment the atmosphere is thick with fear and then suddenly Jesus appears. Now notice what doesn't happen here. What doesn't happen is, is Jesus doesn't kick the door in, smash it open and go, guys, look, I'm back. He doesn't pick the lock and then enter in. The fact that he's alive is the astonishing thing. He could have arrived in all manner of ways. He could have smashed the door down. He could have got right into their faces. He could have said to them, guys, why didn't you believe Mary when she gave you that report? What's going on, guys? Guys, why did you desert me? Why did you abandon me? Why did you not stay when I needed you most? He didn't say that. He just appeared in their locked room. The manner of his appearing to them is hugely significant from my perspective. The fact that he doesn't unlock the door first. I mean, we often start obsessing about how it was he appeared. Did he walk through the, through the walls? It doesn't say walk through the walls. It just says he appears there. Jesus appeared in the locked room. He appeared within the context of their fear. And he doesn't berate them. He doesn't start calling out all of their sins. He doesn't ridicule their fear. He doesn't mock their anxiety. He comes tenderly, almost quietly, and his word to them is, peace be with you. The room remained locked. I find it so moving and so helpful. We often think that Jesus is ashamed of our fears or our anxiety. And maybe we can be slow to go to him with them because we, we fear we're going to receive some kind of rebuke, some kind of harsh word, some kind of judgment. 
But what Jesus models here is something completely different. What he models to us here is utterly astonishing and captivating and so attractive. Just so attractive. This is our God, my friends. This is who Jesus is. This isn't the one who comes in and starts slapping the disciples for their lack of faith. This isn't the one who comes in and uh, and starts slapping the disciples for betraying him. He comes and he says, peace. He brings the word of peace. There, There is no obstacle to the risen Lord Jesus Christ. There's no obstacle. There's no door that he can't enter through. There's no locked room that he can't enter into. There's no one situation or person or group of people that he can't in an instant appear to and bring peace. There isn't. So in an instant, he can bring assurance of salvation to the Jehovah's Witness. In an instant, he can pour the love of God into the heart of a Muslim. In an instant, he can utterly convince the atheist. In an instant, he can pour the evidence of faith into the heart of an agnostic. In an instant, he can expose the spiritual need and starvation of the successful middle-class person who thinks they've got everything together. In an instant, he can cross the barrier and enter the locked room and speak precisely the very words we need to hear. The disciples needed to hear there is peace. Peace be with you. Jesus doesn't mock your fears and your anxieties. He will speak exactly what you need to hear. Some of you need to hear him say that you are loved, that you are precious, that you are known. Some of you need to hear that he's proud of you. Some of you need to hear that he has a plan for your life. Some of you need to hear that in his eyes you're not a failure. You're you're a, a son and a daughter who he utterly delights in. Some of you need to hear that. Some of you who are home right now because you're fearful to go outside, you need to, to hear the, the word of God s- spoken to you and say, peace, it's okay, I'm here with you in your locked room. Even though you're, 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 you're mourning the, the loss of interaction with others, I can still come near to you. Second thing that Jesus draws our attention to is his cross peace through the cross of Christ. So having said this, he showed them his hands and his side. So he speaks peace to them. He shows them his hands and his side. The next thing he does is he speaks peace again. So so wedged between two statements, peace be with you, we find him going, look guys, here's, here's why you should know peace right now. Look at my hands. See the scars. Look at my side. See the hole. He is showing them what they need to see in this moment. 
Again, remember, they're fearful of death. They're fearful that the Jews are going to come take them away and kill them. Again, what Jesus doesn't do here as he enters, he doesn't like pull the curtain back and go, hey guys, look, uh, just before I arrived, I knocked out all the Jews. You don't need to be afraid anymore. Look, they're, all, they're, they're knocked out on the floor over there. I've dealt with the problem. He doesn't deal with the fruit of their fears. He goes to the root of their fears. The, the, the kind of the, the manifestation of their fear was the Jews are going to get us, but the root of their fear was they feared death. They saw death as final. They saw it as ultimate. They, they, they felt exposed, the frailty of their flesh, their mortality, if you like. They felt so keenly aware of their mortality. They had just seen their leader killed. What chance do they have? There was unbelief, and it was caught up in a fear of death. And so what Jesus does is he shows them his hands, and he goes, look, I was crucified. Look, I did die. And I'm here. I'm here. I'm alive. I'm with you. I've defeated death. I've done it. I've done it. I've conquered it. It it isn't final. It isn't ultimate. Look, look, listen. No hope and peace as you look to the cross. My name is graven on his hands. My name is written on his heart. Hallelujah. Crown him the Lord of love. Behold his hands and side, rich wounds yet visible above in beauty glorified. If you need to know peace today, it's not found by looking within yourself. True peace is not found through meditation. The peace which is ultimate and greatest of all is a peace seen in the cross of Christ. The ultimate peace you and I need is seen as we look upon our crucified Lord Jesus Christ, as we see him dying our death, paying the penalty for our sin, suffering in our place. As we see him willingly taking on the sin and the shame of the world, everything that was accusing me, everything that I was rightfully, I should rightfully be judged and condemned for, he's condemned in himself in the cross. And so as I look at him, I see myself as it were hanging there in Christ. And then to know that he didn't remain in the grave, to know that he can appear to men and women in an instant and say, look, as it were, no peace is astonishing. He's conquered your greatest fear. He's conquered death. He's conquered death. Ultimate peace with God is the defeat of sin. Paul puts this so brilliantly in 1 Corinthians 15 where he says, the last enemy to be abolished is death. 
But death has been swallowed up in victory. Where death is your victory? Where death is your sting? Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is amazing news. It's brilliant news. And so as he does this, the disciples, it says here, rejoiced. They rejoiced when they saw the Lord. I'm imagining them cowered over before this point. I'm imagining them weeping. I'm imagining them aware of every sound. And then suddenly Jesus is there, alive. And they're jumping up and down. They're, They're rejoicing. They're celebrating. They're ecstatic. Oh, it's utterly wonderful. It's glorious. So finally, peace through the Spirit of Christ. After saying this, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Now, given that he's been speaking about peace, you may think, well, it's interesting he doesn't say, now receive peace. He says instead, receive the Holy Spirit. But it's utterly consistent with everything that he's been saying. You've got to bear in mind, Jesus taught his disciples about the Holy Spirit at great length. So if we just look at John 14... Verses 26 to 27. Listen, listen to this. He says, But the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have told you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not leave you as the world. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your heart be troubled or fearful. The Holy Spirit's ministry to us is to bring peace, is to apply the peace of God. So the journey that Jesus has taken his disciples on is is threefold. Firstly, they hear peace pronounced, peace be with you. So there's peace in his word. Secondly, they see his hands and his side There's something visible for us to see. And and, and in our case, it's to look to the cross. It's to, to, as we take the bread and the wine, to, to look at these things which he's given to us, to see peace, and then to experience it, to feel it, to receive it deep into the depths of our very being. To know that the peace that God declares over you today is not a, um, a truce. It's not a ceasefire. It's not a temporary peace. It's ultimate and final. But you and I are going to struggle often to believe this to be true, and we're going to have doubts. So what Jesus does is he breathes on us. The Father and the Son send the Holy Spirit so that we receive a true and profound experience of love, joy, peace. So that even right now, where you sit, he's able to breathe on you, his Holy Spirit, that you would know peace today. Where would we be without the helper? You see, We could rightly say, 
if we had Jesus bodily before us, if, if we had the experience of the disciples, if, if we got to see him. But actually, Jesus taught, it's better for you. It's better to receive the Holy Spirit. It's better for the counselor, the comforter to come. Because what the disciples had in that moment was something bodily before them, something very much physical. But what was coming was a power that was going to flow into them, that God himself would live within them and to teach them from the depths of their being the very things of God, which is what the Holy Spirit comes to do. He comes to empower us. He comes to empower us with peace, which is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. It's a beautiful and wonderful work of God. So as I come to conclude now, I just want to draw out the observation which I think is quite plainly clear here, is that whilst this was a true experience of, for the disciples, this is a true narrative of true events. This is a pattern also that is repeated over and over for every disciple. It's the pattern of going from fear and unbelief to encountering the risen Lord Jesus and hearing his words spoken through seeing what he did at the cross as true and ultimate victory to then receiving the Holy Spirit as his gift of peace to us and then being sent out on a mission. He sends them. I'm sending you. Go and forgive people. Go and forgive people. Do to others as I've done to you. I've forgiven you. Now you go and forgive people. It's an interesting point to conclude. Forgiveness is an evidence that the Spirit of God is working through us. That we are being made like Jesus. Let's finish now by praying. Father God, we thank you for all we've seen of your Son in this passage of Scripture today. We praise you for the victory of Jesus Christ, conquering sin and defeating death and ushering in the victory of resurrection and of the new creation. We thank you that this work is beginning in our lives as you make our hearts live, as we are breathed upon, as you transform hearts of stone into hearts of flesh and send us to declare this good news to others. Lord, help us not to be discouraged and demoralized when when we meet unbelief, as Mary met unbelief in the disciples. Lord, let us know that your timing is perfect, but Lord, ultimately every person needs their own encounter with you. So Lord, I'm praying for us as a church, would we be effective missionaries in sharing the good news of Jesus Christ, and would you please do what only you can do, which is to reveal yourself to this world as the risen King who is full of kindness, compassion, and peace. We ask this, Father, in Jesus' name for his glory. Amen.